On this episode of the National Talkie League, we talk photography, both in Calgary and abroad, all the way over in Africa. We talk about video games, which ones are interesting and what is out there, and also about Wonder Woman's work. Is she getting paid or what? We're also joined on this uh, edition of the National Talkie League by our good friend Keith Andrews, who's got his own podcast in the works. I'm Roger Kincaid. That's Dave Ware. You're listening to the podcast of two guys from Calgary who talk about all sorts of important things. National Talkie League. All right, it's a time warp edition of this National Talkie League podcast. Uh, Dave and I are hooked up on Skype, and it's Thursday where we are, but we've made a decision that it is no earlier than Monday, June 26th, where they are. Is that, Dave, if I got my dates right? I'm obviously going on holiday. I don't care much about the chronology of events. It would, it's Monday the 26th, probably, yes. All right. Whew. This is like a, do you how do you feel the day before you leave on a on a vacation? Are you relaxed and anticipating it or are you stressed because you don't have everything in place? I'm a I start relaxing when I get there or when I'm on the road kind of guy, but not before because there's always stuff to do up until that time. Right. Yeah, see I I feel that way, but I feel that there's always stuff for other people to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, so you're a sit on the couch and, and let Aaron do all the packing kind of guy? Well, is that what you're saying? Yeah, not so much that, right? But it's like, you know, the should we bring this? Oh, should we bring this? Like, you know, that conversation? I yeah. The determining factor for should we bring this for me is the size and weight of the item. <laughs> so it's like, should I pack two watches? Yeah, go ahead. Pack two watches. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> but it's like, should we bring this medicine ball? No, because I'm going to have to carry that at some point in time. I want nothing to do with it. So that's kind of where I come down. My last question is always, okay, what did I forget? <laughs> and then my wife will always tell me what it is I've forgotten. And she's often right. So, Is there something you can't like travel without? That's something that might be a bit rare. Like don't say your phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, medicine. Um, yeah, something to keep me interested. So whether it's my phone or my Kindle or something like that. Right. If it's a if it's a plane, I gotta have something to keep me occupied. Whether it's a book nowadays, it's like a Kindle or something like that, probably. Right. For me, it's Gold Bond medicated powder. <laughs> Tonight's podcast brought to you by Gold Bond medicated powder. You think it'll feel good on your nuts, but it doesn't feel good on your nuts. Don't put it on your nuts. <laughs> Wow, that took a turn. That should be. I'm sure there's a there's a club, and it might not be as exclusive as we think of guys who have incidentally done that or accidentally done. <laughs> not accidentally, like you intended to. You just didn't know that it was going to have kind of a chilling effect. Let's see, yes. So, uh, <laughs> where so where are you heading to? <laughs> what with that conversation or on my holiday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with the latter. I think, unless We're, you want to talk about your nuts some more. But while you're listening to this. Um, now, we'll be home, Dave. You know, I'm not going to tell people I'm out of my house. Leave my house up for uh, – <laughs> no, we're going to uh, Washington, uh, the, the Washington coast, so the Olympic Peninsula. We're going to have a nice little just kind of rainforest camping trip, little getaway. It'll be fun. And I've got my Kindle actually in front of me. I've been uh, uh, you know, trying to load it up with some light reading for – I'm never going to use it though. I, I never touch this thing when I'm on holidays. 
What about audiobooks? Are you gonna you're driving, I'm assuming. Yeah. You know what's funny is I, I loaded up um a back issue or a back issue a past episode of a Radio Lab podcast. Just because I want to hear it again. I don't think I've ever done this, but it's sort of like I feel like I'm dragging out, you know. Uh, no Country for Old Men or something like that to watch it again on VHS or stunning Blu-ray. Um, but it's this one, it's called The Dead Bodies Case. Uh, have you, does it ring a bell to you? I know you listened to Radiolab for a little while. No, I, I mean, I have, but I, that one doesn't sound familiar. Okay, I will post um, the, a link to it in the show notes for this episode of the National Talkie League because it's like one of the, it's a really well done podcast and it's kind of like a story within a story. Because part of it is a tale of this like terrible murderer who you know was on trial in New York State some time ago, like eighties or, or early seventies or something like that. But then the other part of it is this legal dilemma predicament that the strangely chosen public defender found himself in, and it like got him so much hate mail, and he had to basically like quit working and move away. But apparently. The decision that he made was, is academically considered the correct decision that the a, 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 you know your attorney would be morally obligated to make, and it's like a textbook case now. Like every single law student has to like debate it and study it. Really fascinating episode. Yeah, it's worth listening to. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah. So uh, speaking of podcasts, uh, we haven't heard from Johannes yet on this one. Oh, yeah, you want to hear a little bit of this fella? National Talkie League, the only podcast that matters. He's the number one German voice on the National Talkie League podcast. Um, so I think we should start this podcast, Dave, with this something that our beautiful, beleaguered um, Talkie League fan, uh, Mike Benham, did. Now, a couple of episodes back, we were talking about what a BS job the Costco receipt checker guy is right like you just go marching past him essentially with your cart full of goods and he just draws on your receipt with a sharpie as though he scanned your cart and made sure you paid for everything so mike put this to the test at costco the other day and sent us an email about it and this picture is posted on nationaltalkyleague.com and it is an absolutely fantastic story I'll tell it if you don't want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Why, why don't you go ahead? I'm sorry, just I kinda, trying to find something here. I pulled my like head that. away there to, to scratch my allergy r- r- riddled nose. But <laughs> no. Um, so here's here's what Mike basically did. He, he he First of all, he chugged a swift pint, according to him, before he went, left the house to go to uh, Costco because, you know, you've got to gird yourself before you enter that fray. Um, but he said, you know, Typical adventure in Costco, and he decided he's going to test out the receipt checker. He was shopping with somebody else, so he decided to load a bunch of things into his own cart that he hadn't purchased. So basically, like all Mike bought was like seven things of frozen grapes or something like that, like seven of the same item. That's all he purchased with cash, right? And his friend who was shopping clearly bought a lot more stuff. So while Mike was pushing his cart out, with his receipt like taped to some of his merchandise, he took some other paid for items out of his friend's cart and put them into his own cart and then wandered by the receipt checker. And at the end of it, he posted for us this picture of his Costco receipt with one item on it marked by the Sharpie wielding receipt checker, but it is packed full of like <laughs> several different items. It's just the most beautiful thing I've seen all week. <laughs> Gotta love it. People paying attention. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're good to go. <laughs> Getting Costco in trouble here. 
no, that's fun. Uh, it's great that Mike uh, reached out to us. Uh, of course, Mike's not a Facebook guy, so he contacted us at the email, which is mail at nationaltalkingleague.com. Yeah, and please uh, feel free. You can do uh, the exact same thing. We love getting email from you. And as you can tell, it makes it onto the podcast. So thank you very much, Mike. Hey, uh, in another bit of business here that I continually forgotten for the last three weeks, I have been mentioned, uh, been uh, forgetting to to throw a mention out to our buddy Brian. Uh, Brian uh, works at Relax Hot Tubs. It's a couple blocks away from Chinook Center, and uh, Brian is a friend of the podcast, and uh, he's a regular listener. And I went by to see him and uh, we were chatting it up and I said, oh, I'll make sure I, I mention you on the pod. And then I forgot for like three weeks in a row. So uh, thanks, Brian. You're awesome. You know, good, you know, he is awesome, right? Because I think that that's one of those jobs where most people who sell hot tubs, um, if the customer comes back with all of the questions, like when you get a hot tub, you don't realize all the stuff that you're going to have to do with your hot tub. Like, you know, you got to learn how to balance the chemicals and make sure the water is conditioned and stuff like that. And so you can just see like picture people in the hot tub store who work there, like waiting, like when the customer comes in with all the questions, like going on their quick lunch break or hiding behind the desk. Like, I bet you it's one of those jobs, but not with Brian. Like that guy's always like, yeah, no, come on in, man. I want to make sure that you get like years of good experience out of it. So yeah, he's an insanely helpful guy. There's my, that's my, um, my Yelp review of Brian, hot tub, Brian. (laughs) Well, and the last time I was in there, I was having some trouble with one of the jets. And so he was like, oh, this is, and he went in the back and pulled out one of the jets and cracked it open for me and showed me how it worked and showed me how it connected so that when you're trying to, you know, jam your hand in there and try to figure out how things work now, you know, rather than just sort of see if it, if you torque it more, will it break, you know? Right, exactly. Uh, all right. Those were, we should start, uh, Hey, if you like the plugs, by the way, and you have a business and you want to pay us. Uh, <laughs> maybe we're not there yet. My dream, and this is my like short-term goal, is to get Chicken on the Way to sponsor this podcast. Oh, yes. And honestly, it would cost them anywhere between $50 and that's like the high end. The low end, I think, is like a hungry man meal. Or a box of fritters. <laughs> yeah, it's just really a bag, just the tinfoil bag just, of fritters. Six fritters, maybe throw in the honey. Tough to say. <laughs> National Talkie League. Resist, resist, resist. All right. We have a special friend joining us on the podcast, right, Dan? We do. One of our most special friends. Uh, oh, wow. So so uh, we have with us uh, man about town, uh, Keith Andrews. How are you doing, Keith? Hey, guys. I'm good. Super excited to be here. This is great. So this is my first podcast ever. First time I've ever been live. So I, I have a question for you guys. Oh, okay. How cool. long? How long does it take before you stop being utterly destroyed by hearing your own voice? Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> well. I, um, Dave should answer that one. Yeah. Uh, we're we're eighteen episodes in. I think I'm getting close now, but <laughs> it's it's funny, right? I mean, because I got past that in my radio career, but I remember. Um, the exhilaration of like hearing a tape of my voice on the radio for the first time and being like, I like 
it's kind of like a Mount Everest moment, right? Like when you're a, come out of broadcast school and then you get onto an actual frequency, it's like, whoa, wicked. And then like two solid years of, of deep self-loathing whenever I listen to tape of myself. So yeah, two years you got there, Keith, two years. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Yeah, I found myself curled up in the fetal position a couple of times after doing a couple of test runs and uh, – yeah. Yeah, but you know, like nobody who's listening ever thinks about that stuff, especially now. Like, I, I'm I'm a firm believer in like you know that uh, cliche. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. I totally mm-hmm. think it's the opposite. It's like it's entirely what you say. It's not how you say it. Barbara <laughs> Walters had an amazing career, and she could she had a wicked speech impediment. So, so do you think that? Uh, I and I don't know who who it was that first invented some sort of recording device to record your voice, right? So the the guy who invented the recording and then played it back, do you think that he went into another room and went, no, no, I, I tried to invent it, but it doesn't work. It sounds totally wrong. <laughs> and then he yeah. brought another guy in and the other guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, 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 that, that, that sounds right. And he's like, no, 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 listen, listen. <laughs> I don't know whose voice this is. He said the exact same thing I did though. <laughs> uh, is that Thomas Edison? It could have been. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. Because he also, I mean, Thomas Edison yeah. also had like the first movie of the elephant being alive. Ele- oh, no, it wasn't a mo- the first movie. It was that he electrocuted an elephant to show how dangerous uh, alternating current was or something like that. I think he was the first guy to electrocute an elephant, too. <laughs> <laughs> what a prick, though. How did that fly back then? Oh, guys, it's uh, I got a test I want to run in Times Square. What are you going to do? I'm going to destroy one of the most magnificent creatures that roams this planet. Where can I get an elephant? <laughs> so Keith is a, a longtime friend of uh, of both of us. And uh-huh. uh, he's, a, he's a fun guy. He's an awesome guy to hang out with. He knows lots of stuff. Uh, particularly, uh, he's, a, he's an artist and a photographer. And I thought maybe... Uh-huh. We might talk a little bit of uh, photography around Calgary today. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Love to. Yeah, I love it. Um, and don't be self-conscious of your voice when you're doing long answers because you, you couldn't possibly sound worse than this. Uh, go ahead, Tom. Mary had a little lamb. It's white as snow. And everywhere <laughs> that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Yeah, so I believe that was like the first recording right there. I got to tell you, Roger, that's exactly what I hear when I speak. <laughs> I love, I love the fact that that's on YouTube, though. Is what yeah, that's awesome. It's, 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 it's on a good streak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like the notion of talking to Keith about photography around the city, but he's also gone on some really interesting, uh, like, global adventures that I, I'm quite curious about, too. So we're going to unpack you a little bit here, Keith Andrews, if that's cool yeah. with you. Sure. And we're, yeah, fire away. And you're, you're building up to your own podcast, I think, as well. Is that the case? I I am building out to my own podcast very slowly, just gathering the equipment and, like I said, testing it out and and stressing myself out much more than I need to. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, eventually we're we're gonna get there. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, I'll have something I can throw out, and maybe maybe I'll be one of your first advertisers. <laughs> That's beauty, yeah. absolutely. Well, like a bit <laughs> of a network going on here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what, uh, what, how, when did you first start sort of seriously getting into photography, like above and beyond, you know, taking pictures here and there? I probably about 15 years ago. So for me, um, photography was kind of a means to an end. It was actually because of the, uh, the paintings that I did that I got into photography. So originally, um, 
like I consider myself a painter first and foremost. Photography is sort of like a second love. And um, so I create like realistic wildlife and nature paintings. And what I wanted to do was actually get my own source material. So originally when I was learning to paint and sort of really just sort of struggling with the medium, I would go and just download stuff off the internet or um, like Getty images or stock or something like that. And I would paint those, not just exactly those, but I would use a background and then maybe I would put, put an animal in it and work on the light for that and, and all of that sort of stuff. But it wasn't really my work, if you know what I mean. So that was when I picked up a camera. I, my goal was I was, I was actually painting an elephant for my son and it's in his room now. So the background is, you know, one piece that I got and the elephant is another piece that I got online. And I never really felt like it was mine. Like, I don't know if that actually, you know, really no, I, makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I think that's sort of like, do you? yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like being in like a garage band and you uh, are playing like Motley Crue songs for a little bit and you eventually get totally. to this point where it's like, come on. I mean, I know I've got the juices to do this. <laughs> right. so I don't need to yeah. be playing Dr. Feelgood anymore. Yeah, we got to write something. We got to do something, right? Yeah, so my goal was, my dream goal was get the images that I wanted to to paint myself. And I wanted, at that time, I was really into African wildlife. So my goal was go to Africa, photograph your own wildlife, and then paint that stuff. Can you so, list all the African wildlife alphabetically? Aardvark. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> So, okay. So you decide I got to go to Africa and take some pictures so that I can make some paintings based on them. What, right. what do you do next? How does that become a reality? What, how did, what, what's your process there? So, well, God, I guess you, when you pick up the camera, I thought it was going to be so easy, man. Like <laughs> I just thought, well, I'll just get a camera and then I'll just start taking photographs of wildlife and, you know, Soon I discovered that I suck. I don't know what I'm doing. My, you know, I'm pushing, I'm, I'm seeing an animal. I'm, I'm pushing the shutter and it's all blurry and crappy. And suddenly you're, you're going down a rabbit hole of, you know, exp- the cost to get better equipment, the time commitment. And, um, you know, what, what I thought was going to be like six months to a year to sort of get up to speed on learning to take photographs while well, it's been 15 years, I, you know, I still don't consider myself nearly as good as I should be. This is it's a, it's a it's a lot of work. Yeah, and okay, is it a lot of work though? Because there's there's at, like there's definite masters in the field, and like like what do you compare yourself to? I guess as a photographer, like who, whose work do you look at and say I would like to be that good, but I'm not that good. Oh, I'm super critical. Um, well, Nick Brandt, Nick Brandt, uh, B R A N. DT, I think is his name. He's an African wildlife photographer. He does black and white and I get a lot of inspiration from him. That was sort of, he was, he was sort of the goal that I set myself to. And that's part of my problem is I'm just so hypercritical of my work that if I'm not, you know, churning out the same sort of stuff that he is, I'm not happy. Right. That's, I think that's pretty common though. That's that whole, you know, you pick someone to live up to and if it's the top guy in the field, you never feel like you're quite there. Sure, man. I mean, you must have that with your Lego stuff, right? Oh, yeah. God, there's there's so many people out there that are so, so much better than me. And I know all of them. That's the <laughs> <Right>. problem. <laughs> I am friends and I'm painfully aware how much better they are than me. Do you think that's a good strategy, though, like to 
to kind of – I mean I, I don't think necessarily, Keith, that you say you measure yourself against those people. But is it a good strategy to look at what the people that you admire are doing and try to push yourself to to get closer to them? Or do you think it's better to do like the thing where you look at um, absolute hacks that have been somewhat successful and say, if they can do it, I can do it? <laughs> no, no, the first one. The first one? <laughs> I'm not joking. That's how I, I'm, I'm the latter guy. I, I disagree. I really? Think, yeah, I think so. I think that the world's full of bullshitters. And it's like, if you want to do something and you look at, if you're looking at Usain Bolt and you want to be a track star, you're like, oh, I'll never be as fast as Usain. And you probably won't. He's the fastest man in the world. But if you go to like a local track meet and go, these yokels are like, they look like they're dragging anchors. Then you'll sign up, right? And you'll actually start doing stuff about it. So this I is get- the. This is the hold my beer method of expertise. Is that what it is? <laughs> I like that. I don't know. No, I th- I think it's I think it's the first one because I think it depends on when you see like super good work. I think it depends on um, what that does to you. Like, does that inspire you to go out and create work, even if it's not as good as theirs? Does it just inspire you to actually get started and go, or? Does it make you put the brakes on and just say, I'm never, ever going to attain that, so why bother? See, that's the that's the danger, I think, with the setting yourself up against the expert thing is that there is a danger that you might go, I'm never going to be as good as these people. Why even try? But I think most people, if you've got any sort of inclination or if you've got any sort of love for the thing that you're doing, it's going to be the other one. You're going to be like, okay, I want to be better. What can I learn from these people, right? Yeah, that's, I agree. Do you th- who? Okay, so based on that theory, then d- the one I ascribe to, do you think that Nicolas Cage watches Keanu Reeves movies to get pumped up, <laughs> or that Keanu Reeves watches Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> to get pumped up? <laughs> oh God! But, okay. We need to have – that would be a good tournament actually, Nicolas Cage movies versus Keanu Reeves movies. And then it's the Keanu bracket on one side and the Cage bracket on the other. And then they meet in the middle and it's like face-off versus – Hmm, it's tough to pick a worst Keanu Reeves movie. So what do you do? You pick two Keanu Reeves movies and decide which is worse Then that one moves on? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And then okay. all the way down the bracket until you get to the middle when it when it oh. becomes a face-off, if you'll pardon the horrible pun, between a <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie and a Keanu Reeves movie. I think we could I work this out. We could figure this out. I don't understand the pun. Why is it a pun? It's uh, – I don't know. Did he do a movie at one time? Because is, is it oh, no, they both was, have faces? Is that, that was, what you're saying? No, that was – sorry. I was thinking of a John Travolta movie. Where he where he played well, he the role a of face for sure. he played the role of Nick Nicholas Cage being himself. <laughs> so Keith, uh, so, <laughs> so you decide that you want to go to Africa. So tell me about the logistics of that. Do you just go online and go? Oh, I this looks like a place that lets people take photos in Africa. I'll sign up and then find a flight. Like, tell me about that aspect of it. It's actually it's actually it's it's way easier than that. Um, for me, I actually, uh, I just looked online for, I just, I just Googled African safari and, um, it actually came up to, uh, a guy that I'm actually good friends with now. His name is Andy Biggs and he is an African wildlife photographer and a super nice guy. I, uh, I emailed him. He emailed me back. He just took care of the whole thing. 
basically just here's a price. Here's what we do. It's a group of 12 photographers in three cars. It's 10 days. And yeah, so, so it, you know, I thought it was going to be like really complicated and it ended up being like ridiculously easy. That's perfect. So what, yeah. So what does it run you for an average African safari? Oh, like that? Is this, is, is there Ebola or no Ebola? <laughs> is it cheaper? Which is more expensive? <laughs> it's way cheaper with Ebola. With Ebola. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you this is like a really quick story. So I, uh, for, for one of the trips I was trying to figure out, I, uh, I worked with Andy and the travel agent down in Africa and they came back with a price for uh, two weeks in Africa because 10 days is way too short because the flights are so long. So two weeks in Africa and I had, you know, you have your driver and relatively nice accommodations and stuff like that. It was $10,000. Wow. So like, does that seem like a lot to you or? Not just, it it makes me happy that there's a hobby that's more expensive than Lego, though not much. (laughs) <laughs> See, I, I think that if I, I think price is up to the the payer, right? Like, right. Uh, you know, I've I've spent eighty dollars on an ounce of whiskey before, and it was like, don't judge me; it was really good. <laughs> um, so I, I, that's kind of my, uh, you know, the, the the glass I see it through. But I do think, however, that your wife is probably quite a supporting woman in all this. Because I think My there's probably, awesome. yeah, I think there's probably a conversation like, why don't you just go to the zoo? <laughs> why don't you start with Lethbridge? And then, you know, see if it catches on first. No, I, uh, my question would be, where did she get to go? <laughs> yeah, well, she, she, she got a few trips after that. Originally, she was supposed to go with me, but when she saw the accommodations, and Which, heard about know, the Ebola. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she kind of changed her mind. So that's how I got to go by myself. But so $10,000, that is, um, you know, obviously you can go to Africa for a lot less. But if you're going to actually go specifically for photography, it's a little bit different. So you're not just on, you know, an hour tour here and an hour tour there. You're sometimes out for the whole day with a driver. And sometimes you'll come across, you know, a pride of lions that's sleeping in the middle of the day. And you'll just decide that they probably are going to hunt within the next five hours and you'll just chill out there and basically spend the day there waiting for them to get up. So, you know, it's really photography driven, right? But back to the Ebola thing. So (laughs) I, uh, so, so 10,000, I kind of hummed and hawed and I ended up not doing it. Um, I sort of put it off and said, I'll get back to them in a little while. So six months later, I was ready to go called them back up and said, okay, let's do this. And they came back with the price and it was $27,000. Holy. Yeah. And I'm like, what, why, what, what happened? And it was Ebola. Ebola had broken out in Africa. And even though it wasn't in any of the areas that I was looking to go to, the, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of cancellations and stuff like that. So I, I did not take the $27,000 trip. <laughs> but so it's more expensive because people need to be paid more if they're going to drive you around. Is that the theory? Oh, no, no. Sorry. It was 27,000, like after Ebola. Yeah. Oh, had... oh so it was, it was cheaper when, when the Ebola exactly. was hit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what did you end up doing to you end up going when there was Ebola? <laughs> <laughs> I, I once, I, I've been to Africa twice, once with, with, with the Ebola and once before, um, but yeah, neither, neither of the times was it over 10,000. I just get the Ebola on the side if I can. And that way you can decide. I, yeah, I will have a double serving of the Ebola, please. Cause I'm, I'm trying to save some money, trying to watch my figure. <laughs> how, how about, how about this for a strategy? Would it be difficult 
to spread a rumor of an Ebola outbreak just to try to uh, manipulate travel costs. <laughs> that would be that would not be a good thing to do, would it? Wow. You know what? Ethically, I have no problem. Yeah, with that, I think it's good for <laughs> it's good for tourism, and you know, you know, nobody's actually dying of Ebola, which is makes it better than a real Ebola outbreak. And you're just all you're doing is stimulating uh, uh, spending of uh, uh, people traveling in trips to Africa. I think it's a great idea. They should constantly have Ebola. I think if you really think about it, makes this exciting. Yeah, it's really bad. It's really bad right now. Seat sale to Tanzania. <laughs> <laughs> No. So, um, do you have more Africa questions? Yeah, I, I do actually, because part of me trying to justify like the 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 cost of it for anybody who's listening, going, yeah, that's exorbitant. But what did you get out of it? Like, what what are how many pictures did you get that you converted into paintings? Because that sort of seems to be the sort of the end goal of your work. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, workable workable i probably i guess i have four paintings that i've created out of it but i would say potential paintings like at least you know 20 or 30 right it's you know spending two weeks there is i think i think probably at the end of the day i had about i probably had about ten thousand pictures so it was probably a, a dollar a picture at the end of the day right yeah 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 so that's yeah. kind of that's that's that, that's my economy on these things like you know my wife and i had dinner one time and it was seven hundred dollars and i don't care because I always wanted to eat at that restaurant. It was called Commander's Palace in, or it is still called Commander's Palace in New Orleans. I have always wanted to eat there for like about 20 years. And I had, <clears throat> I think I had seven glasses of wine and an eight course tasting menu. And it's memorable. So it's basically like from the moment I walked in until now, that experience is still going on because I still remember it. We still talk about it. And I think I got tremendous value. Well, there's a lot to be said for that uh, experience spending is what they call it. And then all the all these different studies that show if you spend a bunch of money on a guitar or you spend a bunch of money on a TV, you're happy with it for a certain period of time. But eventually you're kind of, eh, whatever, it's just a TV now. But that experience spending where you're spending on something that you do or take a course or go somewhere, those kind of things, they say that that's a much bigger bang for your buck as far as you know money making you happy. Right. Do, Keith, do a lot of people do what you do, which is kind of go out and, and shoot stuff, um, shoot shoot photos, and then bring them back and paint them in a studio? Is that typical? Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the I don't know the answer to that. To be quite honest with you, I mean, there's a huge industry for you know just photography itself, right? I mean, it's the the number of of if you're just even just talking about africa if you just google you know african photography guides there's there's so many and there's so much competition like photography has just sort of exploded into this massive industry you know along with tourism and stuff i don't know how many people you know actually go out and collect their own references i do know quite a few artists and i know that they do a lot of borrowing to be quite honest um you know, one, one of my, one of my mentors that that's helped me with all of my paintings, a lot of the time he'll have images sort of gifted to him because he's, you know, he's a professional painter and he actually doesn't have much time to travel because he's painting and marketing so much. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. You could get someone to go and shoot for you or buy photos that you're going to turn into a paint, not you specifically, but somebody could do that. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, you totally could. Yeah. I always wonder about cameras right now because you're just talking about like the explosion of photography. And I think that when you got away, like 
when cameras went digital, I mean, look, it was obviously a game changer, but um, for those of us who have shot 35 millimeter before, you know, kind of like had that photography bug when we were younger, um, you're really careful, you know, you had 36 of these things and it's like, and it's expensive to develop and it's expensive to process. But now I don't know, I'm getting a, a really long winded question here. So I'll just skip right to the end of it. Is a camera from five years ago so good that it's still pretty much state of the art? Or do you, do you feel like there's a need to keep up with the Joneses when it comes to buying equipment? I would, I would say that five years ago, you're, if you asked me that same question, it would be a different answer than it is now. I think that, I think photography in the last couple of years has kind of reached a, a point. Um, it's the word I'm looking for, like, like a point. Peak, a, peak camera. A peak, exactly. It's peaked. Um, you know, there's there's so many megapixels on the cameras. They're so fast. Um, even the lowest end entry level camera now can create stunning work. I mean, look at your iPhones, right? right? You know, you don't have zoom and, you know, being a wildlife photographer, that sort of limits that. But man, if, if you follow the photography scene in any way, some of the stuff people create with, you know, with a, with an iPhone is incredible. And they even have these challenges now, if you've ever seen them on YouTube, it's like professional photographer, crappy camera, and they give them like a Barbie camera and they have to go out and like make a stunning image sort of thing. And, you know, partially it's just because even a Barbie camera actually has to have some decent components in it. And, you know, of course they're professional photographers, but yeah, you know, even if I was, if someone asked me to recommend a camera to them, I don't, I don't think I could recommend a camera that was bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Just basically yeah. buy anything. You'll be fine. Yeah. You know, there's obviously it's a little bit more complicated than that, but yeah, it's technology's gotten so, so good. So uh, I'm assuming, and this is just an assumption, but I'm assuming there's a danger within that particular hobby for there's always people in a hobby that have to go out and buy all the stuff, right? Can't just get into the hobby and do it, just <laughs> grab one thing. But you know what I mean? Like if a guy who gets into weightlifting, he's got to go buy the gloves and he's got to go buy the <laughs> weight racks and he's got to go buy the belt and that. Like photography strikes me as a particularly dangerous hobby if you're a stuff guy. Like I go to I have a booth at Expo every year and there's always guys walking around and they got these, you know, got like portable and what the name of, you know, the little things, the light bouncer things and, All right. mm -hmm. you know, big racks and gigantic long, you know, lenses and stuff like that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. Well, and I mean, that was me. I, I fell hook, line, and sinker for it because you, you just think that, oh, this lens will get me just a little bit further. And, you know, this this camera upgrade will get me a little bit further. And I ended up going full circle. I went to, you know, when I was going to Africa, I went and I spent a ridiculous amount of money on photography gear and came up, came back and realized it was too heavy to carry whenever I went out to Banff. <laughs> so I ended up selling that and then buying lighter gear. And, and now I just have a really small system with, you know, it's sort of middle of the road. My lenses are light. Um, and I don't fall prey to that anymore, but I had to go through that whole experience of wasting a ton of money and a ton of time on all of these products. I mean, it's no different than Lego Dave, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's always something new. There's always a new color. There's always a new whatever. Yeah. But I need all that stuff. <laughs> 
Lego to me seems like seems like more closely associated to real estate in some ways because it's like if you can buy more, yeah, you buy more. If you're already invested in real estate and the opportunity <laughs> to get more comes up, you're like, yeah, I know this one pretty well. I'm going to buy some more real estate. I just look right. at some pieces and I think that piece is never getting used ever. Like that will be in my house for the next, you know, 40 years. No one's ever going to touch that piece. <laughs> Roger, what's, what's your, uh, what's your poison? Oh man. I've actually worked really hard to, um, to like cure myself of, of, of like obsessively purchasing things associated with, you know, one uh, interest. But, um, I bought pretty much every single book about poker that uh, had been published. And I, I established one of the better libraries in, uh, on the continent of poker books. And those poker books are for sale now. Anybody can buy <laughs> all of those poker books if they want. Cause, uh, I don't, I don't know. I think books are kind of, you know, people have books, people read a book, then they put it on a shelf and then they die several years later. So that's, that's kind of my view on, on, on those things. I'm trying to get rid of them. Yeah, my uh, my love for my books diminishes uh, depending on how much shelf space I need. I find exactly. oh, I can never get rid of that book. Oh, I got a bunch more Lego. I need I need the shelf space. Okay, I can get rid of that book now. <laughs> Plus, like your books, your bookcase is kind of like autobiographical in a way, right? Like if you people judge you by the books that you have, and so people look at me and it's like, oh wow, like ninety poker books and a children's Bible. <laughs> what a degenerate! <laughs> Yeah, it's me. <laughs> too funny. And then I got a little um, bit of radio books in there too, so they know that I drink. So so we were talking about the gear and that kind of stuff. Uh so my wife, who is a photographer as well, has always been sort of the person who's like, No, I'm not gonna buy a bunch of expensive equipment. Um I mean I I feel anyways, I don't know, you you might know better, but I feel that she's got a really good eye. So she, she does. doesn't she doesn't need the amazing equipment and everything because she knows how to put a picture together with a compose a picture i guess you call it um but there certainly are people who who go out and buy a bunch of stuff but if you were if someone came to you and said keith uh i'm getting into photography now here in calgary uh where do i go to buy stuff and what do i buy is it is it still local camera shop is it amazon now where like what would you tell people we we are super lucky living in calgary because we have the camera store so it's the camera store um I think it's on uh, 11th Avenue and 8th Street, um, and it is it's sort of internationally renowned. Um, so we're so lucky to have it here in Calgary. They have some amazing YouTube videos. Their staff is like super knowledgeable, and um, just just everything about the camera store is is phenomenal. Roger, I think you you shop there too, don't you? Yeah, I bought I bought a few things from those guys and yeah, I mean, I think that that recommendation kind of precedes itself like I I bet you that there's a lot of people that have zero interest whatsoever in photography that know how good that store is. But you can <laughs> yeah. also rent a lot of stuff there too, right? Like you you know, yeah, you, you don't have rent. to go buy a, a whole lighting kit just to try it on. Like you can go rent stuff from those guys. Absolutely, they have used stuff as well, and um, yeah, I, I, they're, they're knowledgeable, friendly. Yeah, we're just so lucky to have them. I highly recommend it. Okay, and, so and, I, I'm going to go you know, in to the camera store, and I'm going to buy what? What am I going to pick up? If I'm, I'm a new guy, I want to try it out. Uh, I'm pretty serious, but you know, I haven't done it a lot yet. What's the starter kit? Well, it's so you know what it's it's such an open ended question because it really depends on what you want to do. Do you want to do street photography? Do you want to do wildlife photography? 
my recommendation, actually, just from what Roger was just saying there, I would go and rent something. I would go and rent a couple of cameras and, and try them out, an entry-level Canon, an entry-level Nikon. And then so there's those are sort of the the industry standard, you know, the Canon and the Nikons, but there's, there's different sensor sizes and based on the sensor sizes, the sizes of the lenses will be different. So you can get a lighter system or a heavier system. Um, there's cameras that, you know, are specifically geared to street photography. There's cameras specifically geared to wildlife photography. I think renting them, would be like the best. I, you know, I wrote down a couple of cameras, but like I said, everything is so good. Go and rent something. Give it a try. Hi, Keith. What's your favorite street to take <laughs> a picture of? I took a beautiful picture of 10th Street last Christmas. <laughs> and I want to know, why. can I mail it to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, all right. Not too far from, from that craziness we actually asked uh, the talkies that's our uh, our regular listeners uh we said uh okay talkies where do you go in calgary to bliss out with nature with within or near city limits i had to put that in otherwise everybody's going to say banff and canmore we right. know that right yeah uh but my my goal was to sort of see where people like to go within the city with an eye towards oh keith's going to be on the show we can ask him about where are good places in the city to go shoot so cool. Uh, so some of our responses, so Kelly said, growing up in Southwest Calgary, we spent a lot of time in North and South Glenmore Park, visiting or biking the trail at Glenmore Reservoir, family time at Fish Creek Park. Later, when we lived in Sanalta, discovered how great the Bow River pathways are. Uh, Nose Hill and Edworthy are also picturesque and enjoyable. Mm. Barbara said, Glenmore Reservoir. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> I don't know who this Aaron person is, but she likes Fish Creek Park. Yeah. Uh, so Roger, you should take her there. Uh, Brian well, I don't says want to make out with her. You mean that's what we used to do? Whoa, <laughs> just like old times. Yeah. And Eric says walking with my dog usually at the Auburn off leash park. Uh, uh, sorry, Auburn Bay off leash park. Always with my headphones, listening to the National Talking League podcast. Yeah. Never drive there. I always walk. If I can hijack the thread for a second, watch for me crossing <laughs> the street. Always with the, it's okay for you to cross signal. If I have to dodge your car, I'm going to yell at you. Eric will yell at you. I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> uh, he says, it sort of sounds like if Lewis Black was trying to bliss out with nature. Love that. So big, big ups to Eric, by the way, or, or, or just one big up to Eric for putting up a picture of his dog, which is quite delightful. The handsome beast. Look, it looks a lot like one of my dogs, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Keith, uh, if you're shooting yes, in town, I don't know if you, you've done that from time to time. I see you post pictures. I make fun of the pictures, but only cause you I love do. you. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll tell you about how Roger and I just relentlessly <laughs> tease <laughs> Keith on Facebook. You, you know what you should do? You should, you should really put some of those up on your, on, on the talkie league, like right. the original and then the bastardization of my photo that you guys constantly do. Right. Cause we only do that. Cause your stuff is really, really good. Right. Like, <laughs> and you have nothing yeah, to be it's, insecure. It's about. pretty funny. It's, it's, so, it's so basically it's what's going on here is, uh, you know, Keith and I have been friends for decades and so there's nothing more fun than just, you know, to relentlessly tease your friend. And especially when other people on Facebook don't really get that that's what you're doing. So it just seems like you're being very mean for no reason. Uh, so Keith will put a picture up and he'll say, hey, guys, I took this shot out at Banff. What do you think? And so uh, I started and, and Roger joined in very quickly. And so we'd be like, oh, it needs a 
unicorn or <laughs> that this should have a rainbow in it. And so we'll start photoshopping <laughs> things into Keith's photos just to be assholes, basically. <laughs> You know, and you would not believe how many people have said to me, like, who is that Dave and Roger guy? Like, what are they doing? Like, they think they're funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they think they're funny. See, I wanna, I'm so tempted to take that into other people's threads, though. Like, if someone posts a picture of, like, their baby daughter, I want to go, like, oh, your son is beautiful. <laughs> like, just, Needs more rainbow. Just to be a friend. Like, this friend of mine just posted a picture of his puppy, right? Like, three months old. And, it was, and the first thing that occurred to me was to go, beautiful, RIP. But, like, that's just not, <laughs> just not a nice thing to do. <laughs> Yes, and and to be clear, I don't do this to anybody else's photos or anything. <laughs> it's just Keith's because I know that Keith knows that it's from a good place that we're just teasing him. So yeah, well, I'll see if I can go and find a couple of the good ones from uh, back in your Facebook past there, and uh, we'll we'll post some photos of the of the good. threads. Did we get your answer by the way about where you like to shoot mostly? Oh no, no, we didn't. We no. we totally interrupted <laughs> totally railroaded that. that. No, that's so, cool. yeah, so you, know, you do shoot in the city sometimes. I mean, a lot of your stuff is is out in nature and out of town and stuff. We can talk about that too. But if uh, if you're in town, where do you like to go and shoot? Well, your um, your your talkies actually covered a couple of them off. Um, Nose Hill Park, I don't think was mentioned, right, Dave? That's up by you, and I know your wife likes to go up there. There's tons of wildlife up there. It's a beautiful place. Um, Weasel Head by Glenmore right. is very very beautiful. West of Glenmore Lake, I believe it is. And um, Fish Creek. Did someone say Fish Creek? Yeah, that's in there. Yeah, so if you go over by Sokomi Lake, uh, there are a uh, mated pair of owls, actually, and they have two little owlets that are just learning to fly, and it's quite a popular spot. So you can always check those out. But um, you know what? The big one that I wanted to mention, and I, I saw that you put within the limits, but... I want to mention Banff and Jasper and all that just because it is Canada 150 and it is free with, you can go get a free park pass to go out there for the entire year. Okay. Can I, sorry. So, Not to shit on something that's absolutely well, wonderful. shit on a free park pass? Yeah, because you have to go get one. Why don't they just leave the gates unattended for, for a solid year, right? Like it, there's two ways to do this. One is an administrative nightmare. The other costs nothing. Just throw the door open. You know, like that's an easy way to do it. You know when, uh, uh, man, you know when like you see the free orange drink at your block party, right? There's nobody there like selling you a ticket and they'll issue you a refund on the other side. Like, just go get some. <laughs> anyway. Is it is it free for everyone or is it just Canadians? I, uh, God, I hope it's everybody. You know what, Dave? I think it's free for everyone because I was going to say um, you actually don't have to apply on the website anymore. You can actually go into Mountain Equipment Co-op and CIBC branches and they actually have passes there. And they're just, so I, oh, yeah. they're just hanging on tags, right? You just grab as many as you want and you leave, right? <laughs> you can just actually – you can just drive right up to the gates and if you don't have a pass, they will literally give you one right at the – maybe that's what they're there for <laughs> just in case you don't have one. That makes Roger's argument even better. Yeah, like who is not thought – how did this not come up in that cabinet meeting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Just, just let everybody in. 
Just have you seen have you seen this outrage on the web about the the Canada 150 flag now? No. So someone's put up a meme and it's like, oh yeah, thanks a lot, Justin Trudeau. That's what <laughs> our vets fought and died for, so you could make your rainbow colored Canada flag. And then of course someone else pointed out, oh well, it was at, this was actually approved during <laughs> yeah, during Harper's office. Exactly. <laughs> just like people just looking for shit to complain about now. I think I love it. I actually went and bought a, a Canada 150 flag. We're uh, we're we're only patriotic pretty much uh, on uh, July 1st is what I find. So we got a few years ago. Uh, I don't remember how many years ago, but they actually gave away Canadian flags. Right. Yeah. So you would you would mail or you write in or you go on the web and say I want a flag and they would send you a flag. So we have a flag and we literally put it up pretty much just on Canada Day. So we'll pull the flag out and because you know I don't really want a flag flying all year long. But I actually bought a Canada 150 flag because they're kind of cool. So nice. well maybe we'll fly that one for a little while. So I this this is something I've been thinking about for a long time and I I could I've had years to get off my ass and do something about this. But um, first of all, just a secret that I've discovered one day. Through no fault of my own, there are plenty of free flags at any MP's office. So if you go into your local constituency office and say, "Do you have a flag? Could I have a flag?" There's like a ninety percent chance you're going to leave there with a really lovely Canada flag. No other countries, specifically Canada flags. Like if you go in there at like a Libya flag, I like the color green. You'll be out of luck. Anyway, um, so I found that out because when I went to Australia a while ago. Um, I went into uh, my MP's office and I – who would that have been at the time? Preston Manning, I think, would have been my member of parliament. Uh, and I went into the office and I said, I would like to uh, have a flag. Would you mind? And they looked at me like they were really pleased that I was neither there just to coffee talk for a couple of hours like an old person might and also that I wasn't there to complain about the Chrétien government. And they dropped like five Canada flags on me and a mason jar full of those little Canada flag pins. Which got me thinking later on, like, you know, when you're driving around and you see a tattered Canada flag on like a school or a legion or something like that, why isn't there somebody who's just like kind of got a dedicated job to follow up and get a new flag on those places? Because I just don't yeah, think no that's kidding. too bad, like especially on a legion. Like I've seen a tattered flag on a legion and I'm like, come on, somebody's got to have a pipeline to a new one of those. <laughs> Do you have any strong uh, flag opinions, Keith? <laughs> what makes a no, good I was flag, actually, Keith? I actually hadn't even seen the Canada 150 flag, so I was just Googling it while you guys were talking. And, uh, I like it. That's kind of yeah, cool. pretty colorful. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Of course, a lot of people are equating it with a pride flag, which I think is where their their argument comes from, which, of course, it's not. It's I think it's based on the, the centennial flag, wasn't it? Or the design that they had for the 100th? It could well be. Yeah. I'm a little out of my league on this one. That was just a few years before I was born. You're just even a young pup. I was. I remember being in, in, in junior high for you know, Canada 125 and what a big deal that was. And I remember asking around, like, is what is 125, though? Is that like – I get that it's a multiple of 5 and 25, but I don't know if this is like – I think we're really stretching to make this milestone <laughs> a milestone. Well, it's the hundred and a quarter anniversary. 150 is pretty cool. I'm not going to see another big one like that in my lifetime. So I guess we better live it up. That's what I was wondering if I'll make it to the 200th and what I, and do I want to? Yeah, I guess I might, but I'm probably not going to be real coherent about what's happening around me by then. I'll be in my nineties. Yeah. Like I'll be 89. Right. So they'll be looking for someone who's like a hundred 
who can talk about, you know, being born in the centennial and, and like, as if that would be a good interview. Like, you know what I mean? Like they Let, go, no, no, no. Let's do that interview right now. Okay. <laughs> Hi. So, uh, uh, we're, we're here. Welcome uh, web fans. We're here. Uh, this is Mr. Roger Kincaid. And he was, he was around back when, uh, when Canada turned 150 and also when Canada turned 125. So hi, Mr. Roger, how are you? Uh, very, um, fantastic. Thank you for asking, Stuart. So can you tell us what life was like before the computers took over? Well, back, we used to actually run the computers. I'll have, you know, Ronald, <sighs> we would do, what we would do is we would have what's called a, a keyboard and it was loosely based on a technology called a typing writer. And, uh, which it's interesting if you think about how we, we made it where you would put paper in the machine and you'd push the button and then you would go and it would go right on the paper. And then so, what were sorry, we talking? What, what? What's paper? Pa oh, paper is a thing. You know how there's so many damn bloody trees taking over the world? It's because we went into what's called a paperless society back around Canada's 150th. And the damn things, there's no reason to cut them down anymore. Because as you know, the, they put you in jail for burning anything. You can't even burn a book, no matter how cold it gets. What's a book? A bo books were primarily made of paper. Hang on a second. I've got to get some, I got to get force fed some vitamins up my rectum by, by a machine. And see. The future sounds terrible. <laughs> I like the part about all the trees, but I don't know what happened there. That's pretty much a rip-off joke. Wasn't that the – remember when um, Saturday Night Live did the the Bizarro universe where, where Al Gore won the election? And he basically <laughs> had to go, all right, the icebergs have taken over. I'm sorry we didn't see that coming when we stopped global warming. <laughs> <laughs> Though that does bring up an interesting point that we won't get into too much tonight. But if Al Gore had won that election, how different would the climate change situation look right now? Oh, that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it would have prevented Ford from manufacturing the F-150? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I don't I don't see Gore having enough pull to to make all the, you know, legislation super environmental. I bet you that would have been his his hill to die on, but uh but no, it's interesting because now we have the exact opposite of that situation. Right. So they're basically destroying the EPA and, you know, lighting the rivers on fire for kicks. Yeah, I mean, look, Congress made a law that you had to put lead as an additive in gasoline, right? And that's probably like one of the biggest, you know, frauds ever pulled off on on people. But um, I, I, th the reason I bring up the Ford F one hundred and fifty is because it's. I think that if you, you know, if you want to stop climate change, you have to do it at the tailpipe, and you you either have to do it by educating people to not want to, um, you know, drive and 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 put. CO2 in the atmosphere, or you have to make laws that, that completely prohibit it. But we live in a society where smoking is still legal, despite the ridiculous expense that it is, uh, the, the expensive burden that it is on all of us. So, I mean, really all I'm saying is that it, it doesn't matter so much um, what you say. It's entirely how you behave. And the Ford F-150, to the best of my knowledge, is the number one selling vehicle in North America, right? So consumers are basically saying $50,000 at a time or however much the truck costs. I don't give a shit. Or it's not my problem. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or what, or why is it up to me? Right. So 
That's kind but of that's my take. Though, like yeah. I've seen the numbers change over the last few years. Like the people who, you know, are deniers sounds a little too harsh, but you know, people who don't believe in climate change, that number is shrinking pretty substantially. Um, seeing a lot more wildfires and floods and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know if Portugal's woes are are climate related or whether that was just a you know one off kind of thing. But you know, we're seeing more and more of that like weird freak weather happenings and fires and flooding and stuff like that. It sort of seems like the jury might be in at this point. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Like my argument to myself is is always is if i'm trying to test it with myself is like how long have we been keeping weather records like accurate weather records and i know i look i don't know i don't understand the science but i know that there's a lot of of science that can sh- show us what the earth was doing you know hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ago and stuff like that but i have no idea what this place was like how how crazy the wildfires were uh a century ago or a millennium ago so I'm kind of I'm kind of like stuck in this thing where it's like yeah I know I understand the point you're making but I just I'm not 100 percent there yet. I'm Keith, skeptical. have you been directly affected by climate change? <laughs> uh, you know what I I think I'm in between you guys. I'm on board with whatever we do, but uh, it's a tough one, man. I I don't know. You hear it from both sides, right? I just think it's too late. Like if, if the de- like, you know, you can't like put the water back up the faucet. So, and I, I think that, that, that we're risking tremendous hardship on a lot of people, um, by like trying to stuff new policies down people's throats that I think are going to be costly and, and really sort of change the way we go about living our life. And I don't know if the benefit can, I don't know if we can uh, realize the, the, the benefit that they say they're going to realize. So that's my, yeah, problem. I think. I think at least provincially, a lot of the the stuff that they're trying to push through, I, I'm not fully on board. I'm on board with saving the environment. I just don't know that you know the 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 carbon tax concept and this garbage about oh well we'll send someone over to change your light bulbs for you oh, and God. you know give you a rebate for that. I, that's that's such garbage. Like just give me the rebate, make the light bulbs cheaper, and people will buy them. Right, put them on the shelf. I don't have to put in a mailing rebate. Just make those things cost two bucks each. Everybody's going to buy them, right? Why not? Yeah, it's an but but if yeah. you if you say I have to, sorry, Raj. No, no, you go. Say if I, if I have to arrange for someone to come to my house and put the light bulb in for me, otherwise I can't get the rebate. Well, that's not happening, right? And that's so costly too, because it's like that's a make work project. Yeah, you know, I just yeah. I, I hate governments that say we'll help you. Like, what what's the Ronald Reagan quote? I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Like what's the worst, what's the scariest phrase in the world or something like that? I'm from the government. I'm here to help. It's like, get out of the way, get out of the way. We'll be fine. Although, you know what? Hang on a second here. I employed a, no, I didn't employ a government. I employed a third party. I employed a registry today. I went and registered my, uh, registered a business and it's like $50 is the government fee. And then the registry tax $30 on top of that. Isn't that nice? Ah uh, yes, the registry. I do all my stuff at AMA. So I went over there the other day. I had to get my corporate. So every year you have to file your board of directors and that kind of thing. So basically, it's myself and my wife for my company. But I right. thought, oh, it's a Saturday. I'll go over there and do it because there'll be no. Li- oh my God, look how big that lineup is. <laughs> right. you know, the other thing too is I lost my Alberta healthcare card, and I, I, this is what confuses me: do we or do we not have universal healthcare in this country? I believe we do in theory. Okay. I'd like to think we do. So I'm pretty much – if I can go into a hospital with need and like photo ID, like if I, if I go in with a broken leg and a passport, are they going to say, 
I'm sorry, sir. If, if you don't have your healthcare number, <laughs> there's nothing we no, can do. I, I think they'll look it up. I would, I would like to think that they would find you. So yes. I, they, yeah, they look it up. So I'm on the phone because I lost my card and I needed my number for a form I had to fill out so that I could go drop off a <clears throat> specimen at a lab. And um, I'm so I'm just called up well, and I is said, this, "Is this related to one of our earlier <laughs> podcasts?" Oh, yeah. yeah, we're about three months away from that podcast. <laughs> so anyway, so I I call this I call the this number and I'm like, I "Say I've lost my card. I don't know what my healthcare number is. Could you please tell it to me?" And she says, first of all, I got the answer I was expecting. No, you know, we won't give that out over the phone. But you, and then like five minutes of, you really need to phone and you need to get a, a replacement card because you'll, you'll be in trouble if you don't have it. So I'm getting this like kind of kindergarten teacher slash grandmother lecture from some operator at, at, I guess, I don't know, Alberta Health Services. And the whole time I'm like, okay. A, this is not what I need. I need my number. And B, really, if I went into a hospital and I didn't have my healthcare card, they would just look at me and go, sorry, pal. Nothing <laughs> we can do. Maybe uh, put some dirt on it and uh, run it <laughs> off. I don't know. Walk it off. So, have you guys ever seen any of the other provinces' healthcare cards? Like, are they made of that, like, tissue paper like our cards are? <laughs> Like, or did they get these beautiful, like, plastic cards that last for years? Because mine last, like, maybe two weeks when I get a new one. Oh, yeah. You're this afraid is, to touch it, right? <laughs> this is yeah. mine now. I just keep it on my phone. Uh, there's an app. What? It's my little app called. It's called STO Card, Stow Card. And uh, not only does it do, like, a barcode, if you have a barcode on your card, it'll replicate the barcode, but you can take a picture of the front and the back of the card. So now I just walk in and they're like, do you have your card? And I go, here's my phone. Boop. Here's a picture of my card. And so no I had my card at one point. I actually, you know what? I keep it still keep my wallet because that's the one I'm afraid if I don't have it, that they might rub dirt on me. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do that with as many cards as possible. So I don't have to walk around with a bunch of cards in my wallet anymore. Yeah. I'm sure there's a reason why they don't just put it on your driver's license. Well, that's a super answer right Ooh, there. Why yeah, not do yeah. that? Because cause on your driver's license, don't do, isn't there something that indicates whether or not you want to be an organ donor as well? Uh, I don't know. I, I assume because you used to be able to sign the back of your license to say that you wanted to be an organ donor. Yeah, that might, that might actually be on the uh, health care card now. I don't know because I lost mine. I can't check, you see. <laughs> but, I, but I remember when you used to have the two-part license, right? The pink card and the, and the paper bit. And I pretty, on that paper bit was like the – the I want to be an organ donor thing. So I guess you could have gotten into a situation where you died and got to the hospital or you were on death's door and you got to the ER and they were like, is he an organ donor? Yeah. Well, let's get his Alberta healthcare number then. So that, uh, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. No. <laughs> what do you mean he lost Just his Just put car. some dirt on those organs for now. <laughs> yeah, there's a perfectly good liver in here. You're, you're absolutely right about the driver's license thing. And I will go a step further and say I want all of the cards that I own to be on one card. I want to be able to put my uh, my credit cards on there. I want to put my library card on there. Any card that I choose, I want to be able to link up to that one card. I now only have to carry one card. I want to do the same with all my keys. <laughs> my one key. I don't want to have to carry it. I mean, you know, you guys have more than one vehicle, I'm sure. Now you have to have a car fob for each vehicle. Right. So now I got to carry like a mountain of keys around, right? I just want one key. 
Maybe that card. Why, why do we even need keys anymore? Can I just do a key card? Boop, and there you go. It lets me into work. It lets me into my car. It lets me into my home. If someone steals it, I just cut the whole thing off. I like right? it. The, how about if it has to be near you, though? Like, it yeah. has to be near another de- a second device that you're carrying. So it's kind of like a high-tech version of the the kids that they give the nuclear keys to. <laughs> I like. What do you think, Keith? Yeah, Keith. Yeah. I'm in. I, uh, I, I t- took a look at my driver's license here and there is no, there is no uh, donor on the back of it as well. No. Okay. Nope. It needs to be so there. I, think it's I, know. A separate, I think it's a separate form now. Cause I remember when I went in to renew my license, she gave me the thing and she's like, Oh yeah, you have to fill this out and do this. And I was like, okay, I'll get on that. And of course I didn't. So. Well, what, uh, what do you so. guys think? What do you guys think about all of the, uh, the cards and stuff slowly making their way over to your smartphone. Kind of like what you're saying, Dave, but with more of an interactivity to it, right? Like, like Apple pay and stuff like that. Well, I want to go a step further though. Like, do you, you know, in the dystopian movie, the dystopian society movie where everybody's got like a barcode on their neck or something like that. And how you, yeah. we used to watch that and be like, Oh God, that's horrible. A society where you're reduced to a, a barcode, but actually think of how convenient that would be if like you just were going to pay at the grocery store and you just waved your tattoo over the, over the payment thing and then just walked out. Or like when you got to the airport, like they do the thing where they scan your retina for like rich people so they don't have to wait in line. Like it'd be great if they could just scan your arm and go, nope, not you, sir. Turn around. You're a criminal. <laughs> yeah. Go on through. Enjoy Disneyland. Well, I don't, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't know the last time that you went to Disneyland, but they have those, they have the magic band now. It's basically, it's a wristband and it's got an, I think it's an RDIF chip in it. And so if you're staying at the Disneyland hotel or one of their hotels, uh, that thing lets you into your room. That thing gets you your meals. When you go to the park, that thing gets you on your fast pass rides. And if you want to buy something at the park, you just tap that sucker. It's the best thing ever. I went, I got, we left Disneyland and I was like, now I have to pull my wallet out and I'm annoyed. I just want to be able to tap this thing for the rest of my life. So how much did so, you spend? So, <laughs> Sorry, Keith, I got to know. Did okay. you spend, well, did you spend more oh, no, or wait. less than Keith did going to Africa? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was a family of four. So, uh, no, I, I didn't find that I was buying more things just because I had that, but it was just awesome. I didn't have to bring my wallet. We, you go to the water park, right? They've got water parks. You don't have to bring your wallet to the water park. Nice. How fantastic is that, That's right? Cool. I don't have to worry about someone breaking into my locker and stealing with it because I'm carrying everything with me. Fantastic. So are you guys down for the chips then? If they were going to put, if they were going to do a barcode or put a chip in, or is there just too much concern over like the government following your every move? No, I would go with the chip, but I would Me want too. control over where I get to place it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Do you, I know do you where have you're a putting yours, Roger? <laughs> I just it's too bad I didn't get it three months ago. Hey, well, you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> My, uh, yeah, I'm not going to explain that one. That was a good opportunity <laughs> to explain the punchline. But I that just was went a, right that was a Johannes it. moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I should have been a little bit uh, quicker on the trigger. National <laughs> Talkie League, podcasting into the future. Okay, I got an abrupt 180 here, but the, there was a story that came out about Wonder Woman's uh, lead star, movie star. Uh, and is it Godot or Godot? Or how do we say it's, Gal's last name? It's Godot. Where is she from? Is she? I heard she's Israeli. Is that correct? That's correct. That's okay. why it's not Godot because that's French. 
Uh, yeah. And wouldn't you ch- change it? If you were in the theatrical, any kind of theatrical vein, would you go with Godot or would you just go with like Buckner? <laughs> just <laughs> change it all together. Gal Buckner so, or something uh, like that. So sorry, what was the story? Well, the story is that she only got $300,000 to do uh, Wonder Woman and it's gone on to well, – it'll be like a billion-dollar movie, right? So the the controversy is that it's because she's a woman that she was underpaid or what have you, um, and I, which I think is complete crap. But I, I would love to hear what, uh, what you gentlemen think about it. Well, it's absolutely crap. Um, what I've read, uh, what I understand, and uh, I'm not the uh, the end all be all in this matter, but what I what, what I understand is that she had signed a three picture deal, and that Wonder Woman was the last picture of that three picture deal, and so I believe she was paid three hundred thousand, I think, as you were saying, uh, for that third picture. So it's not like they said, "Hey, you're going to be Wonder Woman, and you're going to be a massive star." Here's a, you know, let's negotiate your contract, or we're only giving you three hundred thousand. It was more like, "This is the last picture in your deal. Do you want to take this picture?" And she said, "Yeah, I do." And so that's what it pays, right? Uh, Chris Evans, who played Captain America and still does, uh, he had exactly the same deal. He signed up for a multi-picture deal at a crazy low rate compared to your Robert Downey Jr.'s, whatever. He was only getting paid, I think it was around the same. I think it was 300000 bucks. Um, but now he's either renegotiated that or I think actually we're getting close to the point where they're going to start swapping those guys out. So, um, <laughs> but you know, he's, he's making some good bank. Now there's going to be a wonder woman too. Let's be very clear about that. Right. So she's going to be signing a new contract and you can guarantee it's going to be a heck of a lot more money than that first one. Cause they ain't going to recast her. No way. And Dave, I think uh, I had also read too, that um, with, uh, with the super, with the man of steel movie, didn't Amy Adams get uh, like seven figures for, for signing on for that? I think she was the highest paid actress in that movie and if i'm not wrong uh i don't know for sure but that that, that wouldn't surprise me that much I mean, yeah henry, just henry cavill wasn't a you know an a-list movie star he probably still really isn't I mean, you know, he's probably on the b-list kind of thing but amy adams is a you know academy award winner and you know she probably brought a lot of uh of eyes to that project so why that, did, that wouldn't surprise me why did gal gadot get the wonder woman role anyway well, that's could, a good question. Too. I'd never I heard of her. Like uh, the only reason I ask is that I'd never heard of her. I made the case that I that they could have made, put Megan Fox in that movie and gotten like way more, you know, pre publicity out of it. I mean, look, I haven't seen the movie yet. I've heard it from several different people though that it's it's one of the best superhero movies that they've ever seen. That the Wonder Woman movie is just phenomenal. But it's it's sort of like you know listening to the response to this, the, the reaction of people saying, "Oh, it's Hollywood sexism. Women don't get paid as much as men do." My response is like, well, no, when you're booking this movie and you're producing it, that's what you sign everybody on, then you shoot it, then you edit it, and then you know what it looks like. The thing could have sucked like oh, yeah. all of the Spider-Man movies did, for example, right? So, well, and, and odds are pretty good that she's got some sort of performance clauses right. in that contract to say if the movie breaks – you know, 500 million, she gets an extra bonus. If it breaks a billion, she gets an extra bonus. So she's probably going to be getting paid pretty well. Also, she's one of the hottest women alive on the planet. <laughs> also, uh, she's guaranteed to make a bunch of money on the next movie. I don't think she's too upset. I think she's probably okay with like, things are going. So, uh, Roger, the only yeah. other movie that you might know her from, I believe she was in uh, either one or more than one of the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, okay. 
I haven't, I haven't seen any, I haven't seen those movies. Um, but okay. you know, I'm a big Vin Diesel fan. My favorite Vin Diesel joke is when Vin Diesel jumps in a lake, he doesn't get wet. The lake gets Vin. <gasps> um, so anyway, uh, but th- this whole thing just sort of brought up this other, like this other thing about price. And I'm always really irritated when people get mad. Cause like somebody, you know, took such a small amount of money for some job. And I always kind of go back to like, well, yeah, but the point is that they took it, like they negotiated and they got to that point. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like the negotiation went because of your sex, we are making a statement. Uh, men should always get paid more than women. Like the conversation probably went, this is how much we're willing to pay for this role. Cause it's a bit of a crapshoot for us too. So do you want it or not? Just let me know. Cause I got this other list of women that I have to call and you're at the top of it. Let me know if I could scratch you off or if I should write you a check for $300,000. Okay. Call me back. By the way, great job in Man of Steel. Loved it. Toodaloo. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I've seen the movie twice. Uh, I went to see it. Actually, I went to see it with Keith uh, and uh, another friend of ours. And then uh, my wife and my son wanted to see it. So I took the whole family and we went to see it again. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good film. It, well, there was nothing crazy groundbreaking about it. There was nothing sort of like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that or I've never seen that in a movie before. But it was a good, solid story. It was entertaining. There was some good action. Uh, it was a great film to look at visually. You know, it like it, it. A lot of the movies we're seeing these days are pretty safe, but it was a good, safe movie. How did they do the invisible jet? I was in every scene. <laughs> it's in every scene. People don't know that, but it was it was in the background of pretty much every scene in the movie. Because like, <laughs> do you remember how stupid it looked in the cartoon? That's awesome. She's just like sitting in the air. <laughs> do you remember how idiotic it looked? And she's got it like she's holding, and they just had like the the white outlines of the invisible jet, but it, it just couldn't help but look ridiculous. And then they made like a toy of the invisible jet too. That's right. Which is she, like the uh, biggest con, she, a bigger con than that leaded gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> she flies a bit now, so I don't, I don't know if we're going to see the jet anymore. But no, did they? Did they do? How did they do the effect? Like, did they have an invisible jet in it? No joke. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if they did it. No joke. No, there's no, no, no there's no jet. The, the movie took place mostly in like 1918, so there wouldn't have been a jet. <laughs> they didn't have that kind of technology back then. It was the invisible prop plane. <laughs> what, the lasso of truth, though, was that corny at all? Uh, no, it's actually pretty kind of cool. I don't know. What do you think, Keith? I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, that was actually one of the ones that I was wondering if it was going to be really corny or whatever, just you know, like the old show. But no, I thought it was pretty slick. It was all glowy, and uh, whenever she she whipped it out, it, I don't know. It's pretty cool, man. All right, yeah. She, uh, her main weapons in this movie, she's got a sword and she's got a shield. They're sort of like Amazon sword and Amazon shield. She's a bit, and that's how it's been in the comic books for a while. She's a bit more kind of badass than she used to be. So I think that with like the, the, the brainstorming sessions and boardroom sessions at DC comics for a little while there, I think like they had Superman, right? And they're like, oh, he's, you know, I can do it. You see through walls, he's got heat vision, he's stop a training, do everything. He's Superman. He's invincible. And then somebody put his hand up and said, okay. But let's really challenge ourselves for the next ones. And, and so then they just started pulling things out of their ass. His, his name is Green Lantern. And uh, <laughs> go on. <laughs> he touches a lamp, you see. 
He was bitten by a radioactive lantern. <laughs> I was like, this, what about this superhero, Batman? What's his superpower? No superpower. Nothing, no. Lives in a basement. He adopts, actually kind of kidnaps a, uh, an orphan boy. <laughs> Roger, would it interest you to know that in the, uh, the, the Silver Age, I think it was, version, or maybe the Golden Age version of uh, Wonder Woman, that she could be rendered powerless if you just uh, uh, tied her hands together? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Did this happen numerous times on the television show? Oh, no, this would have been like way, way back, like in the 40s kind of thing. Right? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all you had to do was tie her hands together and then she could no longer uh, cause you any trouble. Who would rescue her then? I don't know, some feminist maybe? <laughs> no, <it's> just... <laughs> I just think there's like a conversation like, how are you in some the man? <laughs> how are you in the league, Wonder Woman, if like this is all it takes? I mean, come on. Like they have to mine a very rare mineral. To get at Superman, <laughs> right? like this, there's this guy who's made his entire business enterprise like getting this stuff that 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 Superman is allergic to. But you, like foamy hand or furry handcuffs, that's all. <laughs> that's a bit embarrassing, Wonder Woman. I can go down to the sex shop and finish you off in minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, it's weird is that Superman. He's got. He's the only guy who can save you. <laughs> anyway, I'm done with the conversation. Um, the one thing I kind of dug about the the movie too is that uh, though it was a you know the a female superhero, there was nothing innately female about the the character. Or sorry, that's a dumb thing to say. But there was about the way that she solved the problem, the way that she fought her battles. There was nothing specifically female about it. And I can't decide whether that saying that makes me sexist or makes me feminist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I thought it was cool the fact that they weren't like, oh, well, only a woman could solve that problem. They didn't go down that road. They were just like, this is a person. She's a hero. She's awesome. Here you go. Right. I like that. Yeah. yeah um, cool. So loosely associated to uh, this conversation, and by that I mean not at all. I want to read you two things that I read on the internet today. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> and I, I think they're both funny. Um, but, but they're both tragic. So like they're both unintentionally funny, right? Um, one you'll know right away what, what's going on. The other one you'll have no idea. So I'm going to start with that one. Okay, here we go. I read this and then I thought that's unintentionally humorous though tragic. After blogger Rebecca Berger's death, here's what you need to know about deadly whipped cream dispensers. Jesus Christ. I read that story. <laughs> Did you read that? That, that's was, crazy, that's, that was a tweet crazy. from the New York Post. And it sounds like, an, it sounds like a round of Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So this woman, so she was using not just a can of whipped cream, but you know those like the heavy-duty containers where you put in the cartridge and then – Right, you put in, you pour in the milk, and then it actually. Mm. Yeah. So she was using one of those, and apparently, it like the the top shot off or something like that, and hit her in the sternum and caused her to have a heart attack and right. die. Now, and those things apparently have been like, I don't know if they've been recalled, but they've certainly been taken off the market. Like they don't uh, they don't make those anymore because they were seen to be defective. So presumably, well, this is not the end of the story. But. And that brand was made in China. I think that brand specifically they've got issues with. What? Um, Are you guessing, no. Dave? 
the sad part of the story is it went, it reminded me that I own one of those and I was like, Oh, Hey, why am I paying for whipped cream in cans? Why I should just start using that thing. <laughs> I just pointed away from my sternum. Nothing will go wrong. Have you made, have you used that device before? The whipped cream, you've, you've clearly done it before, right? The I was using cream. it for, I have a, I think I have a seltzer one. I don't know if it's okay. the same exact make. I don't know if I could use whipped cream in it, but maybe, but I used mine for seltzer mostly. Yeah. Cause I, I, I mean, I worked at a restaurant one time where they did that and then, and they were like, oh, it's better. It's awesome. And then I think the bartenders went on strike and they were like, we're not, look, making your own whipped cream is very overrated. That stuff that people like pop into their mouths in the grocery store when nobody's looking, that is the gold standard. (laughs) Why don't we just use that? It's like making your own mayonnaise or your own ketchup. It's like, yeah, I get it. You're artsy. Okay, I get it. You're really organic. Is it better than Heinz? Is it better than Hellman's? No. I need to find that uh, thread when we were talking about the Anthony Bourdain book. Right. Because that's that was he was he was like, Oh, you've got your own house ketchup. Well, well done, you know. Congratulations, you figured out how to make ketchup. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for wasting your time. Uh, do you want to so hear the, sorry? Go ahead. What's the story with these? Are they all like if you own one, is it like are they all recalled? Or is this a product that you can still purchase now? Or are, are there safe versions of it, or is or is every one of them defective? Uh I f- Think okay. Here, let me do a bit of digging. I I found the um, headline so humorous that it didn't even bother to read the article. <laughs> My understanding is that there's a few brands like the the brands that are are well made. They're just fine. It's these sort of cheap ones that are right. coming out of China. Right. Don't mean to pick on China, but you know maybe stop making crap and we won't. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Do you want to hear the next uh, the next great uh, thing I read today? That's unintentionally very very funny. Yes. Bill Cosby to hold town halls on sexual assault following mistrial. Now, I didn't, I didn't know that there was a sentence that accompanied a mistrial. <laughs> but, you know, it gets even better because what he's going to do is he's going to teach you how to avoid being charged with sexual assault. <laughs> there's like there's no way to tastefully go at this topic. The fact that it's happening at all. Like, can you imagine? This is like, this is like Jeffrey Dahmer teaches dating safety. Like, what? <laughs> like, come on. That's, no, it's it's John like Jeffrey Wayne Dahmer Gacy teaches you how date. not to get caught by the police when you're grabbing someone. That's right. what it is. Because he's not teaching you. He, what he's teaching you is how to make sure you don't get yourself in a situation where you could get nailed by the police for roofing someone. He's not teaching you <laughs> not to roofie people. Oh God, it's. Yeah, I can't. I can't even imagine what this is going to be like because are there is – first of all, I want to know – like let's just take this cohort by cohort. Is there a group of people who are going to see a poster up at their university that says you know, sexual assault awareness town hall hosted by Bill Cosby? And they're going to look at each other and go, you know, do you want to go? I've wanted to learn. <laughs> I'm interested in the subject matter. Bill what Cosby is a funny, you know, I did, I do like pudding. He seems like someone who would know. <laughs> He's a subject matter expert. Do not <laughs> use the roofie. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, it's impossible to figure out how this is going to go. And then the second thing is how will, how will these town halls even proceed? Like he's going to go to universities and do this. 
So he's going to go to academic institutions where there's like – you thought that the whole uh, safe spaces and the Black Lives Matter movement was like loud and, and aggressive and, and determined. Wait until this gong show hits the road. <laughs> Do you want to hear my favorite thing that I read on the internet today, Roger? Uh-huh. Okay. The headline is White House warns reporters not to report on instructions about not reporting on today's press conference. <laughs> that was the that, that's the other strange like he, he is that Spicer, Sean Spicer? Uh no, he's uh, he's out. He's not the press secretary oh, thank anymore. Thank God, sorry. I forget the Huckabee, but it could be him that the instruction came from. Anyways, Okay, so the point being is that they did a press conference that and told the press you're not allowed to report on this. No, they did a press conference and they said you're not allowed to record audio right. or video. Sure. You, you're quite welcome to write down the things we tell you. Just this way, there's no way you can prove what we actually said, you see. Oh, man. So Harper did this too, right? We, oh, is that right? Yeah, we're having a press event, no cameras allowed, no recording allowed. And then the media just looked at it and they were like, well, then we won't go. And and one one media outlet did go. They're not around anymore. But it was like I, I remember it happening and just saying like this is ridiculous. I mean, you've got the leader of the country who says I'm not willing to to go on the record. Uh, you know, I I have to talk about something that is impacting people uh, that this you know that that this government is accountable to, but I won't let you document it. And I thought that that was just the most appalling thing. It's really sad. It's not to get serious. It's getting, it's getting pretty bad down there, man. Like they just released the uh, the new the repeal Obamacare bill today. So the theory is they released it today. Uh, they're going to force a vote on it by July fourth, which is like what a week from now, week and a bit. And uh, apparently they're going to try to limit debate on it to ten hours, which is the minimum that they have to have. Uh, they haven't given it to anybody else until today. So that like the Democrats, no one else has even seen the bill. There's going to be no chance to put amendments on it. There's going to be no public discussion about it. They're literally just like, here's the bill. We're going to vote on it as soon as we humanly possible. Right. And it's apparently it's one fifth of the economy is affected by it. They say one out of every two children born in the United States will be affected by this. It's it's almost crazy. National Talkie League. So sexy it hurts. <laughs> Just seemed like a good opportunity to check that in. <laughs> so um, Keith, do you, do you feel like opening the kimono, so to speak, on what your podcast is about? Or do you want to keep that to yourself for the time being and reveal it at a later time? I, I asked because you said you're in the, the like testing phase and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, probably it would be best when I can actually go into it a little bit Um Speaking, speaking about it with a little bit of, you know, more, more knowledge than, than just sort of spewing out a bunch of stuff to you would be the best. I mean, being an artist, I find that there's a lot of similarities between, um, the art that I do and uh, mindfulness. So we're trying to sort of mesh those two together, but we're still sort of, you know, trying to come up with the proper verbiage and stuff like that. So yeah, it would definitely be something I'd might be much happier to come back and talk about later and really sort of delve into. I like it. Yeah. Hey, I was sorry. I was just on the front page of Reddit where I looked up that headline. And uh, Keith, you're a big video game fan. And uh, I had this yes. thought earlier today, which was that uh, the, the this title sums up video games 
uh, in the modern era quite succinctly, and that's Final Fantasy fourteen. Does that just pretty much say everything we need to know about video games? <laughs> it does. I love it. That's awesome. What do you like these days? What's a, what are some games people should be playing? I, and I only ask you because I know you're the guy, you're first guy out. You know you're on top of it. You buy the stuff as it comes out. You you know what's going on. So what what's what's hip, what's happening, what's cranking your engine these days? I do buy the stuff that comes out. Oh, I used to buy the stuff that comes out, but now those Steam sales, I don't know if anybody plays computer, computer, computer games, like not PS4, not Xbox stuff, but every summer and every spring, everyone buys their computer games from this little platform on PC called Steam. It's, it's basically now the distribution house for video games. You used to go into Future Shop and well, it's not Future Shop anymore, but you'd go in and, and buy your games there. Now it's all online. And so Steam is this massive clearinghouse for all these games. And every summer they have this amazing sale right dave they do 50 to 75 percent off you can pick these stuff you know these games up for like 10 bucks you want me to recommend a game it started today in fact the Steam it, did, it did it did it's super exciting yeah what do you what do you like what uh, what should people go grab i, I mean like it doesn't it. have to be on sale right now but just what are some games in the last couple of years that are worth grabbing mine's older but i love the witcher have you I know you've been thinking about picking that up but the witcher 3 um is just it's it's just so well done. The story is is so tragic and so beautiful. It's told well. I really think it's like the culmination of like what video games have been trying to be, you know, for for so many years with limited technology and you know limited you know capacity in the PCs. Everything sort of come together at once. And The Witcher Three is just this unbelievably well written. It's it's like a it's like a Hollywood movie that you're living. It's it's amazing, man. Yeah. What do you got, Dave? You got got a contribution to this? uh, Everyone hates. Everyone in the world hates the video games I play. (laughs) I play. I play games. People look at like, you know, it's like if I walked around saying like Batman Super versus Superman was my favorite movie of all time. That's the level of video game. uh, uh, You know, I like games that are about building things rather than destroying things. (laughs) I like games games that are about creating and making. And I play incremental games, games that take months and years to finish and move very slowly. Uh, Right now I'm playing a game called Factorio, which actually is pretty popular. Uh, It's just literally based on building a giant factory with like, you know, big big conveyor belts to move things around and smelt ores and turn them into other things. And yeah, uh, Keith knows this well. I, I, the games I play are the games that only, you know, five to 10 other people on the planet enjoy. Right. But it's, that's a, that's the premise of that game is like you're crash landed on Mars and you have to build a rocket ship to get home or something like that. Is that factorial? Yeah, that's right. So you start with a with an axe, right, or a pickaxe, right? And so you start mining stuff from the earth, and then when you've got enough pieces of ore, you can and enough stone, you can build a little furnace, and then you can make it into steel. And then once you have steel, then you can turn it into a machine, and on and on. It just right. spreads out from there. It goes crazy. Because to me, the thing that my knock on video games, and I think it happened around when I was like twelve years old or thirteen years old, was when. Um, you know, they would sell the Nintendo cartridge with the story, right? And it's like, oh, the uh, you, you know, the, the, the princess has been taken by the evil Dracula emperor and you must go through levels of go- ghosts and ghouls to get to, you know, okay, it's Super Mario Brothers in medieval France is what we've got here. Like, you know, so it's sort of like I've played this game. It's just that they were Italian plumbers before. So I'm, I'm not terribly interested <laughs> in your version of Super Mario. Thank you very much, though. And, but you have There's to get some- to the gameplay to find that out, right? 
there's some really neat games out there. I mean, Keith might know better to talk about some of these, but there was one that I played and it's basically sort of a first person version. And I'm trying to even remember the name of it now. And it's basically you play as the character of this girl who's coming back to her house. Uh, She's been away at school and she comes back to her house, but nobody's home. And so she starts walking through the house. Yeah, it's called Gone, Gone Home. Gone Home. And uh, so I played this game and it's amazing because it, it only takes you like two or three hours to finish the game. But basically you walk through the house and you find things and slowly you start putting things together. And there's little puzzles like, oh, I got to figure out the code for the uh, the safe. Right. But eventually you start figuring out what has happened to your parents. And I thought it was going to be something absolutely horrible and shocking. But, you know, it's like, oh, well, they're not home. And, and you go into the one room and you start finding some mail and stuff and you figure out why they're not there. And it's just a really great way to tell a story. Um, the other one with the girl with the camera. Uh, oh, the girl. I'm gesturing at Keith so he can tell me the name of the <laughs> Taxi game. Taxi Driver. No, no, I think it's Mel. Is that what the movie you're thinking of? Mel? It, oh, what was it called? Somebody's screaming you, it out there. You tell your you tell your story and it's, I'll look it up for you. It's the it's a, it's, so it's a story, but again, it's, it's based on this young girl and she's in school and she's in photography class. And so she's got this camera, but the power in the game that you have is that you can rewind the game back to other situations. And it was an incredibly popular game. Uh, and my son started the playing. Ring. absolutely loved it. Is it The Ring? No. Is the movie you're talking about The Ring? <laughs> Is it The Grudge? Is it The Grudge? <laughs> Battle Royal. It's Life is Strange, Dave. Life is Strange. Why can't I remember the name of any of these games? I, I the, played that too. I just don't remember it. Yeah, just a really interesting way to take on a game. Or uh, there's one called The Stanley Parable, which is really interesting. And it sort of takes the concept of video games and sort of plays it all out at a meta level. Um, what about yeah, you, Keith? Well, no, I, I, like your exa- I like Life is Strange. That's just such a great example of, of storytelling where, you know, you can make a choice and then uh, – a little dialogue will pop up and you can literally re you know, rewind your rewind time and then make another choice. And uh, yeah, all of the different branching storylines is a really neat way, a really unique way of telling a story. I thought. So Dave, you kind of got my, my wheels turning. Like I love video games really do, but I just can't play them because I, I feel horrible after dedicating, you know, 18 straight hours to last of us and, you know, or uncharted and knowing that I should have been doing something, uh, you know, more productive with my time because my wife is counting. I don't know. This is a long diatribe, but, um, Penn and Teller did that video game called desert bus. Right. Right. So I'm familiar. Do you know that one, Keith? No. Okay. No, so it's the most boring video game ever created. <laughs> it's all it is is it's a bus. I think the premise of it is you're driving a bus from like Las Vegas, Nevada to somewhere, and the, the landscape never changes. The only real deviation in the game is that the bus kind of pulls to the left very slightly from time to time, and you've got it's, to keep it on the tracks. It's real time too, so it takes like 14 hours to drive <laughs> to the next city. So then. That was outdone, I think, by a game called Q, where your job was to get in a line and wait in line. That was like the whole gameplay was was just waiting in line. (laughs) So my ideas aren't as boring as those, but... Dave, you said like you don't like destroying things; you like building things in your games. And I, yeah, I'm I'm about creating, kind of. Yeah. Well, I remember thinking about this. Like, remember the video game Rampage, where you were one of three monsters and you beat up the city right that, that they could make a game after rampage where you 
come along and you are you have to rebuild and like <laughs> so you have to hire tradespeople and you have to coordinate with the government emergency response services to like house people and then hey, Roger yeah. <laughs> there's actually a game I think it's called Viscera Cleanup Crew and the idea is that you, <laughs> your your job is to go in behind like the 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 guys that are in these first person shooters and shoot all these guys up and actually clean up the rooms after they've left them. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's kind of what you're talking and Terrible about. at the same time. I love that. I love that so much. So uh, Roger, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. So you said that like you feel guilty after playing 18 hours straight. Well. Why, why do you feel guilty if you were to spend two hours on a, playing a game, what would be the difference between spending two hours watching a movie? Uh, nothing really. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with gameplay, but let me, let me put it to you this way. Let me use the exact same analogy you just gave me. If I spent all day Saturday or all day Thursday, let's make it like, let's, let's raise the stakes all, all day Thursday watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Great films. I would come out of that and be like, I really got nothing done today. And I'm at a time in my life where I need to have some productivity to feel good about so, myself. Right. So your problem is more with moderation. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. If I was like, you know, if everything I was trying to do in my life was really firing and my businesses were awesome and, you know, we had cash coming in and I was, you know, living my dreams of, of living abroad for a couple of months a year and stuff like that. Oh, dude, I'd be. I'd be like, I would have my PlayStation stacked up like four on top of three on top of two on top of one, right? And I, would, I would love it. I'd, I'd, I'd have like them in my family portraits, but no, for right now, I just can't do it. I got to <laughs> commit myself to other stuff. What about you, Keith? Do you, do you use the gaming as just sort of like, this is the thing I'm doing tonight? Or is it more like, okay, I need a break. So here, I'm going to play for an hour and then I'm going to go off and do something else. What's your routine? Um. Well, do you mean like, is, is it my, my main source of entertainment or like, when do I fit it in? Well, yeah, it's more the latter. Cause like, I know for me, I get home, I don't immediately run downstairs and jump on my computer. Mm. I hang out with the family. I do stuff. In fact, I feel guilty if I do it before everybody else goes to bed. So everybody else goes to bed, I hop in the hot tub for a little bit and then I come downstairs and now it's time. And so I'll spend an hour or two playing. If I got something else to do, then I'll move on to that. If I don't, I might just keep playing or throw a TV show on or something like that. So what's your that's exactly the same with me. I I try to I try to limit it to sort of after everyone's gone to bed. It's it's definitely a, it's not a good feeling when you're locked away in the basement playing a video game and you hear the kids running around upstairs and laughing and stuff like right. that. So <laughs> yeah, I try to I try to avoid doing all of that. And you know, it's funny what Roger was saying as well. Um, so I I was in the oil and gas industry until September of last year, and then. Um, well, I'm still in the industry because I consult, but I, I was employed um, until September of last year, and I haven't been employed since. And it's amazing the difference, uh, like the amount of gameplay. You would think that I'd you know, just be playing like 10 hours a day, but it's gone way down because I'm way more active in looking for work, trying to get my painting business going, starting a, you know, a, a podcast and all of that, right? So it's, you know. That's kind of cool. It, it it is amazing if you feel good about what you're doing and you're you are successful. You kind of give yourself that little bit of time, but when you don't, I, you kind of back off of that entertainment a little bit and really sort of push your goals a little bit more. So it's like a guilt thing. You maybe feel yeah, guilty. If you spend guilt, the whole, yeah. Because when your wife comes home and says, "What did you do all day? Play video <laughs> games?" Yeah. 
finished The Witcher, honey. <laughs> I did it on one. I man. totally finished it, one hundred percent. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I do want to have a, an arcade machine in my house, though. Uh, and I'd, I'd kind of like to build it so that at least I could say, no, that was a woodworking project. Like, well, you know, and, and you, that's absolutely people do that all the time now. You can probably find instructions online, and oh, so totally. now it's instead of buying one game, now you put your is it Mame still that they use some kind of emulator? You throw a hard drive in that thing, and you've got fifteen hundred games that you can play. Yeah, you, you know what you do it with a USB stick and a Raspberry Pi and an old computer monitor or television set, and you're 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 done. You're perfect. And I want to get Gauntlet because Gauntlet. Do you remember the video game Gauntlet? Oh, yes. All right. Who what who did you play? Were you the warrior? Were you Thor the warrior? Were you Sky or Thyra the Valkyrie? Were you Merlin the wizard or were you Questor the elf? Who were you? Wow. Wow, Roger. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I like I like Thyra the Valkyrie cuz she was blue, you see. But anyway, that game most closely resembled um drug addiction because <laughs> like <laughs> you'd pump it full of money and then you'd you'd go gangbusters, and your your health would like you had a lot of health. You could take a lot of bullets or a lot of arrows and stuff. And then as you got like you know closer to dying, it would warn you like your life force is running out. And then you'd have to like the only thing preventing you from winning that video game at any given time was wealth. <laughs> is it just me too, or did that game also like when you put a coin in, you started at like a hundred health or something? Didn't it start sort of tracking down slowly oh, whether would, you were getting hit or not? Yeah, dude, it was like a countdown clock. It like absolutely timer, was. It yeah. was a timer. Yeah, that's why I say wealth, right? It's like you didn't need that much skill; you just needed three thousand dollars <laughs> in quarters. Or, um, you, yeah. uh, what's the one? Oh, dragon, uh, dragon's lair. Right. Yeah. That was another one where if you had enough money, you could just figure out all the moves, but you needed to spend a lot of money because every time you tried it, it would be a different room that you'd never seen before, which you'd immediately die in, right? Do, do you know mm-hmm. how that that game – like do you know the story of Dragon's Lair? It's an amazing story because the, te- no. the technology was so different, right? I mean that – I believe that that game box had four VHS machines in it like originally. Wasn't it- wasn't it Laserdisc? Originally. I mean, like, oh, okay. yeah, they had it, like, linked up so it would, like, sequence these animations. And it, the gameplay experience was so um, amazing for, you know, I forget who made that. The wiki page, I think, covers off all of this. I could just read that to you right now. But, but yeah, then eventually it became, like, the Laserdisc thing and your joystick commands would cue the disc to the next cut sort of thing. But it completely revolutionized uh, video games and then it just went away like that, that style of video game. It, it was dragon's layer, then space ace. And then like nothing. Oh yeah. Space yeah. Probably, probably a lot of money to make too, with all that animation. I bet you it wasn't cheap. Right. But you're right. That was so ahead of its time. Like you'd walk into an arcade and there'd just be all these little pixely games. And, and then, you know, there was this, it was incredible. Like the graphics looked like, even when you look at it now, it actually looks pretty good. And it was 50 cents. Oh yeah, and people were like, "I'll put fifty cents in that." That's that's right. See, there's still arcades, but my kids, when they go to an arcade anywhere here in town, it's utter garbage compared to what we used to go into. Right? Yeah, like the games are. It's it's all those stupid ticket machines now, and you know they're only at the movie theaters, and there's no because nobody's opening an arcade because they understand that pretty much is just pot dealers and kids who have no money that are going to show up. I just wonder what the power bill in an arcade is like. That's why they turn the lights out. 
<laughs> it's all just dim. It's like, my God, do not turn on those incandescent light bulbs. <laughs> well, and in the States, they have like the Dave and Busters and that kind of idea where yeah. you can go, you can order a couple beers and then you can walk around. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese for grownups, I think, is the theory. Huh. I think we're supposed to get one of those at Deerfoot City the when they redo the mall there. If you really like the food at Chuck E. Cheese, but you don't have children, is it okay to borrow your friend's children so that you can go eat at Chuck E. Cheese? Because <laughs> you need to be accompanied by a kid to get in there, right? Yeah, I think the best plan is to just stand in front of the Chuck E. Cheese and see if you can convince a kid to go in with you. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, I do that. I usually go to ma'am, the- ma'am, ma'am, you don't need all those kids, right? Can I just borrow one of them? Because uh... <laughs> I just go to bus stops. Hey, who wants to go to Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> Get the uh, and that's the it's like the worst day in the world when your kid's dying to go to Chuck E. Cheese because the food is absolutely terrible, like beyond terrible. Right? There's no good video games. They're all broken. You're just gonna have a miserable time for hours. Yeah, there's just that dirty crawly thing. Is that even still there? My kids are a little bit older now. But when when thing. when mine were little, they'd go up into that like snakeish sort of tube thing and inevitably one of my kids would get stuck and I'd have to go in and get them and it was oh, just this God. stinking sweaty mess <laughs> and yeah like all the video games were broken and Roger were you serious about their food <laughs> no I just I, <laughs> okay I just love the I love the notion about how it's like, like if you wanted to go to I, I used to joke with a friend of mine it's like let's go to Chuck E. Cheese and just get wasted and get kicked out of Chuck E. Cheese because I think you can order a beer there right I think it's yeah, licensed, yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, I, I was having this conversation and a third friend of mine joined in and he's like, oh, you can't go there without a kid. Like you need – like and for obvious reasons that makes a lot of sense. But I just kind of thought, oh, that, that's going to wreck it for uh, for going there and getting drunk. <laughs> My friend used to be a manager at Chuck E. Cheese and we'd go in after hours and have some beers and sit in the ballroom. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's But it was that's a different better. kind of ballroom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well let's tie this one off you guys this has been a, a delightful podcast um national talkie league uh joined this time around by our friend keith andrews who's got his own podcast in the works so we'll be able to keep you uh, updated on that one and as always dave uh for those uh, of you sorry, beleaguered, it, it, hmm? sorry to interrupt you roger but keith you have a website that's currently running for your photography and stuff you should maybe share that with us and we can also sure, link yeah. it on the blog yeah it's it's just keithandrews.ca Okay, cool. Yeah, so yeah, feel free. And thank you both for having me. It was really fun. Yeah, it was, it was nice an absolute blast. <laughs> all right. Now, now all I wanted to say is, is uh, if you like the podcast, uh, by all means, um, tell your friends about it uh, and give us a, a five-star rating in, uh, in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us get this podcast out to more people. And uh, if you have some suggestions, let us know, right, Dave? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love nothing more than getting new topics and that kind of thing in from you guys. And like Roger was saying, any kind of feedback, we love feedback. You guys love it because it tells us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we could be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. So yeah. Um, uh, you know, like having the guests on, do you guys like the guests? Let us know. It's awesome to find out stuff like that. And, uh, we love that you listen. All right. Take care. We'll catch you again next week. This is the national talkie league. <laughs>